0: Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Questions from the Pew. This is actually part two of an earlier episode, so if you haven't listened to that one yet, it would probably be a good idea to listen to that, just so you have some context and kind of um, are tracking with us when we continue on this conversation. Without further ado, here's part two of the podcast.
1: We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues.
0: We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet.
1: If you won't be offended, I might just go into a quick five-by-five. Go for it. (laughs) Sick. One, two, three, four, five, five 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 five. five-by-five. Now it's time for a five-by-five, part of the show where our Enneagram Type 5, that's me, gives us five facts, aspects, or tidbits that inform or connect with our conversation in a potentially surprising way. I say potentially because sometimes it's not always surprising. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Reichert just drank and I almost made him spit it all over his microphone <laughs> anyway um, yeah I would say this is not super surprising but just real quick uh, and this isn't going to take very long uh, but just five essential things for Bible study um, like tools but also not tools but five essential things um, first is just I think like an interlinear Bible is really great um, It, for one thing it just keeps you in the sense of I know that what I'm reading is a translation. Uh, and every translation is an interpretation um, to some extent. So that's, I think, one that just keeps that in the forefront of your brain. Uh, and then the second thing is just, you know, a good old lexicon. Um, once again, maybe this is intimidating for some people. What is a lexicon, Luke? Yeah, let me, let me tell you. Basically, it's just uh, all, so all the, the words that are used in, the Hebrew Bible or the New Testament are all listed out, and then all their various usages and where they're used in those ways are listed. Uh, And if you're saying, what do you mean a word and its usages? Uh, So if you think about English words, there's various ways that we use them. I'm trying to think of an example. You got an example off the top of your head? Uh, This is a classic one, but love. Love. There you go. Yeah, so there's, I can say I love cereal. I can Mm. also say I love my wife. Hopefully those are not the same usages. (laughs) Um, I probably love my wife both like how I love cereal and also like how I would love a loved one. (laughs) Anyway, it's fine. So you see what I'm saying. There's multiple usages. That's what the lexicon does. Um, And it's not, uh, you shouldn't use the lexicon just like a pick your favorite usage and that's what it is. Um, It's there. A lot of times there are suggestions within the lexicon of what usage is where. Um, but it's just—it's a guide. It'll—it'll it'll help you, and hopefully, if you're using an interlinear 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 Bible, uh, it'll help you with that. Um, also, if you don't have an interlinear Bible, BibleHub.com is incredible. So feel free to use that. That's true. That's a—that one's for free. Um, number three is just a theological dictionary. So where the lexicon will give you maybe just a short snippet on what it means and the different uh, usages, a theological dictionary. uh, You can kind of think of it like an encyclopedia. Does anybody use those anymore? Probably not. You can think of it like Wikipedia (laughs) 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 where it'll give you a full, uh, like an actual paragraph or I mean, a lot of times it's longer than a paragraph. But the way it was explained to me is like in a lexicon uh, or like a classical dictionary, like you just get, you know, it's kind of a word for word word Um, this means that, whereas in a theological dictionary, usually it's a whole, there's a couple paragraphs explaining the, the baggage of that word or, you know, kind of its meaning just, uh, yeah, I guess baggage is the right, right way to go. The baggage of the word, the meaning that's attached to that word. Uh, so that's number three. Number four is just a curious mind. I think that's literally, I think we come to the Bible. We've heard the stories 10,000 times and we go, I know this story. I don't. It's fine, but there's actually a ton of questions in there. Which, when you start asking them, like the whole thing opens up. Um, so I think, yeah, one one thing is we have to we have to leave the assumption of I've heard this before. I know what it is. We have to leave that at the door, uh, and then we say like, what is, what really is going on right here? And I I don't think anybody has a problem admitting there's also just a lot of things we have no idea what's going on when we first come to it. Um, you know, why is Elijah calling a bear down to kill kids for calling him mm. bald? <laughs> Seems a little wild. Anyway, so I think a curious mind is huge. That's number four. And then lastly, just a community. This the text. One thing we didn't talk about before is it's a communal text. Uh, when it was written, the way that people would receive it most often would be in a community setting. It would be read aloud to a group of people. The group of people would then talk about it. Um, so that's. Uh, That can be a community of people present with you. That's the hope. Uh, Hopefully you can find some Christians who are also interested in the Bible. Uh, But then also just the community of saints over the years, and then also uh, Bible scholars who write commentaries. So if you have access to those, those are always helpful. Uh, So yeah, that's, uh, that's the five. question from the pew. All right, next question. Shouldn't we read the Bible literally?
0: Ooh. In quotation in, marks, in a, literally. In in qu-
1: qu- yeah, literally in quotation marks. <laughs> <quotation. laughs> uh yeah, I mean, I don't know, do you want to wanna take that one?
0: Yeah. Maybe we can start off with like a talking about a popular understanding of the word literally or literalism. Hmm. Um Sure. And I'll approach this very broadly, like within Christian circles and even just popular non-faith circles. Like, and this might be a caricature, I guess, but essentially Mm. believing things as they are written without any question of, again, this is going to, this might be like diving into the actual things we want to discuss for this question but without taking into account genre um sure. extra biblical literature um intent all those different things but taking things without any question um and i guess putting blinders up to anything outside of the bible um sure. whether it's you know whether it's history or science um sure. yeah I'd say I don't know. That's a, at least broadly speaking. Yeah. I think a popular understanding sure. of what literalism means. Totally.
1: Yeah, and I think like the it what it doesn't mean or I think yeah, sorry. This is this is actually a little bit hard to communicate. I think there's what people are saying what it actually is. And then there's also what people are not even saying. I think what people are not even saying is that you don't like use literary devices. I think everyone's in agreement. Metaphors, parables, I don't know, figures of speech. I think we all, when we say, read, when people say, why shouldn't we read the Bible literally? I don't think they mean literal in the sense of, you know, kick the bucket. They actually mean kick the bucket. I think literary devices are not on the table for discussion. Um, But yeah, I think literal often to me means like face value. Like it's like, so, Mm. um, basically it's like, I read it and that's just what it means. And I think, I think you were getting at it in the beginning. Um, it's more about, I don't want to, or I'm not going to do any work to like understand the cultural context. So just what this Mm. means in English as I'm reading it is, is literally, you know, that's, that's what it means. Um, I mean I hear this a lot like I think a lot of times it's used to kind of defend the more like mythic or miraculous moments in the Bible um where it's like it said it it happened you know mm-hmm. Noah's ark it says it it happened uh the seven days of creation it says it it happened Jonah um, I'm getting swallowed by Jonah the it says it it happened I mean there's any number of things like that um yeah. which and, I think Oh, sorry. Right. Go ahead. No, I mean, I think it gets at a, like a a very good question about the Bible, which is like, do the events described in the text is that do the do the events matter the most, or is it like the text and mm-hmm. like what the text is saying that matters the most? Uh, which I think is a, a good question. I don't know if people would phrase it that way, mm-hmm. but that's what I would phrase from their yeah. defense. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, it's. I think. I think you you summarize it well, and and I don't think I don't think we're saying that miraculous events like the things in the Bible, as described in the Bible, can't happen. Sure, it's just right. a man. Like I mean, the the our whole faith rests on a man rising from the dead after being crucified and buried for three days. Right. right. If God chose to preserve a man after being, you know, swallowed by a fish then who's That's to great. say that can't happen totally. <laughs> we're not putting a li- but i think what we are saying is um is that those assumptions need to be undergirded by what the text itself says right so Agreed. like the resurrection for example um some people have have taken that as a metaphor for you know conquering sure. demons or whatever Uh, it's a victorious metaphor, which is, okay, fine, if you want to lump it up with a couple of other miraculous events and put that spin on it, fine. But then you also have to take into account the portions of Paul's letters where he says, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, our faith is useless. So what do you do with that? That's Scripture confirming, like, no, this historical event, as it's described, and as you've been told needs to have happened, otherwise right. w- what I'm teaching you, our suffering, is useless. What's the point if it didn't happen? Right. So stuff like that is a lot more clear-cut in my mind about, okay, the his- the historicity of that event is vital to the faith and important for an understanding of Scripture. Other totally. portions I maybe hold with a more open palm, if I can use that phrase from our beloved yes. Greek teacher.
1: Yeah, Dr. Dr. Sauer. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right on. And that's... So some of this, I think we talked about a little bit in our commentary of uh, The Bible Tells Me So, our mm-hmm. previous podcast on this topic. Uh, so I think we hit a little bit of this. But uh, John Goldengay, who is a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, his understanding has helped me a lot uh, in how I look at, like, historicity. Uh, and he he would say... Uh, historicity only matters when it's vital for understanding the meaning of the text. Um, so, for instance, Jonah. Uh, does it change the meaning of the text if Jonah happened or Jonah didn't? Not even a little bit. So that's where it's... I mean, it's cool. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, uh, even Job. I mean, I i don't even know the full conversation around Job, but I would say Job is in that category. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11, uh, he would say that it's like it's describing real events in the sense that it's God created the world. Uh, there's this division between God and man. It causes, you know, violence and, uh, you know, kind of the downfall of man and how we interact with each other. Uh, so, like, all those things are true, uh, but they're kind of just snippets and snapshots. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's, mm-hmm. I th- I think he would say it's not, quote unquote, pure history is what he would say, um, which is, I think, what I would say but then in, in other instances, so those are instances where, you know, the historicity is not vital for the meaning, but then there's other instances. I mean, obviously, like you said, Jesus's death and resurrection. I think it's like pretty vital. Um, the Exodus, the exile, those are like really formative moments. And the, I mean, the Exodus, uh, gets like, is used as a, like a marker of God's character all throughout Mm -hmm. the old Testament, probably the new Testament. I don't even know. Um, but yeah, so I think those, uh, when, when history matters to the actual meaning of the text, that's when it's, cause that's, some people will say, this is a slippery slope. How do we, why don't we just say the whole thing is made up or, sure. you know, whatever, this or that, but it's, it's not that it's, it, there's no slippery slope. There are clear guardrails and it's mm-hmm. when historicity is vital to understanding the meaning of the text. That's when we have to say, yeah, we, this, this happened. Jesus did, Jesus did die. He did rise again. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that's awesome. I like
0: say. that. I like that phrase, "guardrails," just because yes. that um, it gives you a lot of freedom of movement in terms mm-hmm. of interpretation without <laughs> without being labeled a you know a heretic for <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for not believing in a literal seven day creation as it happened. We can be open to that discussion uh, at least again, not because of yeah, because of the things that the text says in conjunction right. with. You know, scientific knowledge, um,
1: historical right. studies, that sort of thing. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the fun thing is I feel like science actually does help us. Like, it helps it helps us in this endeavor because it's like, okay, the for instance, the cosmology that's set up in Genesis 1 with the Rakia or whatever, the... The, uh, the dome, what's it called? the sky dome. Yeah, the firmament. And it's like, mm. okay, like I always... The funny thing is... Growing up, we just breezed over this stuff. I I don't know how I didn't ask questions about it. Because literally, it's in day two or whatever, he's separating the waters above from the waters below. It's like, what did I think he was talking about? (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I guess for any listeners who don't know, like kind of the ancient Near Eastern concept of reality is there's a big dome. There's water above the dome. uh, Obviously, water below the dome. Uh, there's little holes in the in the dome, which are stars. Heaven's up there, kind of above the waters above. Uh, sometimes the water comes down as rain through the holes, uh, and that's kind of the setup of of how they understood cosmology. Which make it's honestly it's a it's a great theory from their perspective, mm-hmm. um, or it's a great way to understand it. Um, and obviously, like that's that's what it's talking about in Genesis Genesis one, and like obviously none of us. Well, I guess there are those flat earthers. We love them. We love you, flat earthers. (laughs) But for the vast majority of us, I think we're comfortable saying, you know, we're a a sphere who's orbiting the sun, which is another big fiery sphere in space. And, you know, that's our understanding of cosmology. Uh, And so that's just one way of saying or of seeing like, you know, the descriptions in the Bible, they're not doing what what we ho- hope or think that they're doing. It's, it's not a mm-hmm. scientific textbook. It's not even a history textbook. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not even a theology textbook. Um, so that's, it's just, it's just a nice reminder that's easy to see that this is a text that is other than what our culture is familiar with. Um, mm-hmm. And the historicity question is a it's an interesting place where those cultures kind of rub up against each other yeah. and there might be some tension Uh, But yeah.
0: Well, maybe we can talk about some important things to take into account then when we are reading literarily lit- or literally. Sure. I think liter- we, we talked about this in our maybe another podcast. I don't think it's the one that we re-released and offered commentary sure. on, but another podcast episode. Uh, I think literarily might be a better word to use, given the baggage that the word literally has taken on um, in our sure. modern context. And by literarily, and yeah, kind of. Talk, you know, piggybacking off of what you've already said, that's taking into account the styles of literature, whether it's genre, um, style, those different sorts of things. But uh, so, yeah, what are important things to take into account then when reading literarily?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we just talked about, um, at least for me, so I don't want to rehash too much of it. Uh, but obviously, there's like the literary design, so the different like tools and structures that are used within the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. Some that come to mind quickly are just like, you know, there's uh, chiasms, they're called, which are basically like like double and trickered, triple-decker sandwiches of meaning. <laughs> so basically like the, <laughs> the two outside buns match, and then like, you know, maybe there's lettuce inside the buns that match, and then cheese, and then the patty in the middle. Uh, and oftentimes that patty in the middle is like the big point that the author is trying to make. Yeah. Whereas usually our culture, we do it linearly, so we make our you know three points, and mm-hmm. then our big conclusion is at the end. Whereas a lot of times, their structure is chiastic, so it's actually in the middle, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just other tools, like there's numbers. Uh, certain numbers have connotations. Like forty uh, is like a connotation of testing. So the Israelite Israelites are in the wilderness for 40 years obviously jesus for 40 days there's a bunch of other 40s that Mm -hmm. i can't remember off the top of my head 40 days 40 uh, nights yes there you go um seven's another one is like you know completeness fullness um whenever it's associated to anything it's like to the fullest extent you know so seven Mm -hmm. days of creation i mean there's so many sevens in the bible it's just ridiculous so uh so yeah there's there's kind of those literary tools that i see yeah um yeah, I don't know. Do you want to go off, off yeah. any of that? Well,
0: um, maybe not as like um, specific, specific as your examples, <laughs> but I sure. guess I can, I'll go back to like the whole genre discussion um, sure. and something that we kind of touched on earlier is that the fact that the biblical text weaves in and out of genres within books um, and sometimes even within smaller sections of those books. Um, so we talked about it earlier, right? You can go from narrative to law code. Uh, you go from narrative to um, to poetry, um, and so sure. it doesn't announce those transitions, though, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> right? Because right. we've got to take into account, and I guess this is another thing to take into account when reading literarily, is that it's a compiled text. Um, it has it had a, a most likely an oral source, uh, especially with you know the you know, the older sections or the earlier sections of the Bible. And then transcribed to to a written text, which over generations, uh, within a community of faith, authorized community of faith, it wasn't just some guy in his mom's sure. basement kind of Wikipedia <laughs> edit, article editing. It wasn't like yeah. that. It was much more meticulous and, um, you know, we'd say God-ordained uh, and God-directed, sure. Spirit-directed. Um, but you've got to take all of those things into account as you're reading, uh, right? So you can Agreed. say, you know, Genesis is his narrative, his historical narrative, okay, that's great, but that's a very broad brush with which to paint all of Genesis. You've got to take into account the specific sections of Genesis, uh, right? Because there are many more details in terms of genealogies and stuff, once you get from Abraham on, than you do, um, you know, in in the previous chapters. There are genealogies there, fine, but not, not in as much detail later on and i think it has to do with the fact that it's setting us up for the exodus which is the the central event for the jewish people uh, sure. for the hebrew people and if you take into sure. account that this was very likely finally composed you know you know during or after the time of exile it would make sense why the central event is going to be the exodus because it's a re-exodus from exile. God is mm, once again sure. delivering them. So you've got to read sure. those things into account. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's, um, I think, yeah, I guess just broad, broad strokes is, is not a helpful way. And you've got to m- take those little things into, into account. Totally,
1: Yeah. And for any listeners who uh, kind of hearing that maybe the Bible wasn't in its final or the, I guess we should say the Hebrew Bible, the old Testament wasn't in its final form until like around the time of the exile. Um, yeah, all I'd say is mo- a lot of evangelical scholars, that's the position they take. There are some that would say that it's earlier. Um, yeah, there's definitely some. Yeah. But there are a lot who say yeah. later exilic author. The the problem with saying authorship is, uh, as Riker was talking about, these texts were formed over a lot of years so there's a lot of editors and compilers and obviously there's authors of the content uh, but them coming in t- uh, kind of coming into their place in the final form of the text as we have it took a like a process it was a process it right, didn't, right. it wasn't some person writing a book like they do right. now and yeah. then somebody published the book that's not how it worked
0: yeah <laughs> well like think like people say is like well I'm reading the the bible the Old Testament, whatever, the way Jesus would have read it and interpreted it, which is a good thing to say. That's fair. He's an important person in our faith. And so if we're going to take a model, we should use him as a model. But we should also take into account that the order in which, the order of the Hebrew Bible that he had is different from our That's Protestant true. Bible.
1: Sure. Yeah, totally. Right? So whereas yeah, we end
0: with Mike, the book of Micah... You know, right. which in the Protestant uh, understanding, again, with the Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus coming to fulfill um, what was promised in the Old, it makes it makes sense of that narrative because you've got 400 years of silence where God is not speaking through any of the prophets. And then sure. you pick up again after Micah with the book of Matthew. And John the Baptist is, you know, declaring that, you know, God is once again on the move. Totally. It's, it's it's fulfillment is is in Jesus. Right. That makes sense right. in that narrative.
1: Yeah, it rides right into it. Also Malachi. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Oh you, sorry, but yeah. But... Did I say what did I say? <laughs> Micah. But yes. Micah okay. I'm with you. Well it was we'll it's edit basically the same. It's fine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Malachi, sorry. Um yes. but whereas the 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 Hebrew Bible, and this is why we did, we kind of distinguish, right, the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, the Protestant Old Testament, yeah. the Hebrew sure. Bible ends with the the fact that the the kingship of the line of Judah which was broken when it was was conquered all of a sudden you get a glimmer of hope that it's once again sitting at the foot of you know the exilic ruler um and sure. that's the hope it's the it's the glimmer of hope of that of once again god might actually do something to restore broken israel and that's the future it's pointing to so that's the that's the Bible that Jesus sure. would have. That's the order of the books that Jesus would have been. So th- that is, sure. I feel like that is not discussed, and so we totally. read, we we assume that Jesus, you know, reading of Scripture and the things that he pointed to, are the same as again the Protestant order. And I'm mean, I'm not saying it's yeah. right or wrong or whatever, but just sure. that's something to that's something big to take into account if we're going to totally. use Jesus as an example,
1: right? And the like the interesting thing about like what you're talking about uh is like even like what you're talking about like the order of the books it's viewing the old testament or the hebrew bible as like a big literary unit that's like going mm-hmm. somewhere you know what i'm right. saying which i think a lot of times for christians nowadays we don't really like we go to the old testament and it's like what's going on here like i don't see how this is, i don't see the connections like I see, like, Job's an interesting story, Jonah's an interesting story, you know, Moses is an interesting story. But, like, the Bible is meant to be, like, read as, like, a grand narrative. So it's not all narrative in the sense of the genre, but, like, the whole thing comes together to tell, you know, a story. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I think maybe the first step for a lot of people is just... Um, developing that like understanding of like, okay, this is a, this is a collection that's going somewhere. Where is it going? You know what I mean? Uh, and I would say, you know, spoiler alert, it's going to the Messiah who we would say is Jesus. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think that one, I, I feel like there's, there's not anything I can say to like help you implement, help someone implement that. You know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. like a reframing of when you find yourself in the Bible, it's like, where am I? where am I in the grand, you know, the grand narrative that this is, uh, spelling out, you know? Uh, yeah. so it's just something to, to be aware of, which is, yeah, I mean, literary, it's, I mean, it's what we're talking about. It's reading the Bible literarily as a, you know, a story, um, which I think is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're, uh, as we talked about kind of in the trailer to this season, the structure's changing up just a little bit, but uh now we're just going to do a little segment called in the lobby. It's just the you know it's the images, you know, you're coming out of church, just ask your questions from the pew. <laughs> um <laughs> and you know, if you've been to church for any amount of time or if you grew up in church in like the 90s and 2000s, you know, you spent about an hour in the lobby talking to every person who was there. And you're, mostly you wanted to leave because you were a child, but your parents wanted to stay there. <laughs> anyway, so we're calling this, it's just a section for takeaways and summary of what we talked about in the episode, and we're calling it In the Lobby. In the Lobby. In the lobby. Great, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, so if, do you want to start us off with some final thoughts, uh, Riker?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I guess broadly speaking, this uh, approaching the Bible um, maybe takes a little bit more um, pre-work before you actually start diving into it. Um, just like maybe checking what your assumptions are, what your understanding is of the text, because um, that'll shade the way you approach it, which is. Which has been the, you know, the the focus of our discussion today. Um, I'd say that's the most important thing. Not not so much questioning the text, but questioning your assumptions and what mm. um, you know presuppositions you're coming to the text with. Um, sure. Because if if you don't have that under, I don't want to say under control, but if you don't have a good understanding of that, then you'll be blind to the ways in which you are misunderstanding what the Bible is communicating. Totally.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, hopefully hopefully, we gave you, our beloved listener, uh, just like some things to think about when you're coming to the Bible. Um, yeah, we. I mean, you can go back and listen to what it all was, but we talked about it as communication. It's ancient literature. Uh, it's a library. Um, it was written not to us but it is for us mm-hmm. um so you know all these kind of things to think about uh they they can be intimidating and so i i get that uh i get that reaction yeah. um but that's where the community I think,
0: like reading in community help sorry i didn't mean, mean to sure. interrupt no no go ahead Because you brought ahead. up a good point earlier like it's important to read in community that's the way it was written that's the way it was originally read and that's why the way it's meant to continue meant Truly. to be Read even today. I don't know. I'm phrasing it wrong, but that's that's a vital part of understanding scripture.
1: Agreed. Yeah. And here's the thing: not knocking it, but the Bible was not written for personal devotions or quiet times mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, we do that, and once again, like I said, I'm not knocking it, and I don't even think it. I don't think it's bad, um, but it was developed to be read in community, and so that's where uh, I think we. I think we should have time. Like where we study scripture, um, like on our own, and I laid out some of the tools that I think could be helpful for you. Um, and there's plenty of there's plenty of things on the internet. That there's plenty of helpful tools. Um, so I think if you really are interested in like understanding the Bible on its own terms, uh, I think those tools are available to you. Um, yeah, it's honestly it's just whether we want to or not. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sometimes I'm I'm a little. A, just like a little discouraged sometimes at churches where it's like it seems like we just want the we want the preachable not the preachable moment you know what I mean um, but then in, in other areas I'm encouraged um, the group of, of people I do music with at my church uh, is very like inquisitive about like everything bible you know what I mean mm-hmm. so it's, it's actually like really fun to talk with them about just like questions and and like yeah it's just, we're just wrestling with this text uh, but we're not just wrestling blindly. There's actual, you know, there's, I guess, rules of engagement, which hopefully we've kind of laid out that that give you mm-hmm. guidelines or, like we said earlier, guardrails guard yeah. as you make your way. Yeah. So, yeah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this was helpful to you, uh, the listener, and uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you if you do have any questions.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great place to to end. Thanks for thanks for listening.
1: Yeah, and if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. Uh, It's just www.patreon.com slash questionsfromthepew. Uh, And if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, And that will help others find our podcast.
0: Also, please comment and ask questions. You can leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. This has been Questions from the Pew. podcast in the world outspoken network to learn more about world outspoken and its mission to prepare the mestizo church for cultural change visit www.worldoutspoken.com for questions from the pew i'm Riker alameda
1: i'm lucas manning we'll see you next time